It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. We're spreading the nuance in 2018. Beth and I are making plans for live podcasts, workshops, keynote speeches, and political reconciliation work. And if you would like us to come to your university, workplace, or organization, please email Beth at beth at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Somehow, we're still debating the Alabama Senate race to fill Jeff Sessions' seat. We're here with additional thoughts on Roy Moore, Doug Jones, and tax cuts. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We wanted to start this episode since it is the month of gratitude with a special shout out to our over 300 patrons on Patreon.com. You guys make this show possible. You make all the work um, that goes on surrounding Pantsuit Politics um, possible, including the, our community on Facebook and the expansion into our new podcast, The Nuanced Life, which we're very excited about. So just you know, while we're saying what we're thankful for, we are so thankful for all of your support on Patreon. Amen. I can say it better. Sarah, I wanted to talk about the Alabama Senate race to fill Jeff Sessions' seat in maybe a different way. Tell me what you know about Doug Jones, the Democrat in that Senate race. I know that Doug Jones is a Democrat in that Senate race. Yeah, it took me, I think I'm pretty good at research. It took me 20 minutes or so to find anything about Doug Jones 
other than he's running against Roy Moore. And I think that's ridiculous for a Senate race that has captured our national attention to focus all of this coverage on what a terrible human being Roy Moore is. And now we're diving into the salacious details of that in a way that I think is unnecessary and hurtful to all of the people involved. But I decided to do some research on Doug Jones and what he is actually running on. Because I imagine as a Republican, I'm going to find myself more frequently in the position of saying, can I vote for the Democrat in this race? So I tried to think if I were an Alabama citizen, could I vote for the Democrat in this race? Or would I prefer to write somebody else in? I do want to say that I think the reason it's like this is because for all the reasons we complain and bemoan often, which is I think that, you know, I read the National Democratic Party is sort of staying out of this because for better or for worse, um, because of our team mindedness, the idea of for many Republicans of voting for a Democrat is untenable. And they're just hoping to stay quiet. They don't, it's almost like they don't want to remind people that Doug Jones is a Democrat. And um, just if we don't if we don't say anything or do anything and we just stay real quiet, Roy, Roy Moore will crater out and people will either not vote and Doug Jones will win. I mean, I think that's they, it's almost like they just don't they don't want anybody to know about him because then they'll have to be reminded that he's a Democrat. But go ahead. I think that's a sad and oh, correct it's a sad, commentary. Absolute, yeah. So it's super sad. So Doug Jones is a former U.S. attorney. He prosecuted the men who perpetrated the civil rights era bombing of an Alabama Baptist church. He's 63 years old. Um, he was described by the New York Times as the rare Southern politician who possesses law and order credentials and is esteemed in the black community. I'd say that's rare through, with politicians a lot of places, not just the I South. think so, too. I went through his website because that was the only place I could find anything about Doug Jones on the issues. And I saw that in terms of health care, he wants to improve on the Affordable Care Act. He believes that health care is a fundamental right. And he specifically mentioned wanting more Medicaid funding for rural Alabama. So nothing in that that bothers me tremendously. Um, it, he wasn't like raging about universal health care or anything like that. But he was saying we should protect the Affordable Care Act and build on it. Economic-wise, he supports a living wage, but doesn't say what that means. I mean, in theory, doesn't everybody support a living wage? I do. I don't want a federal minimum wage, and he did not address that on his website. He also said that he wants to expand the Lilly Ledbetter Act to make it mandatory for people doing the same job to receive the same pay. My Republican perspective on that is that it sounds really good and would probably have some lots of unintended consequences, but... If I compare that to someone who has a history of mistreating women, I'm going to give that point to Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, on the environment, I thought this was really interesting and worth sharing. He writes, I fully appreciate and understand the impacts that environmental regulations have had on many people and businesses. I'm the son of a steelworker and the grandson of a coal miner. I have enormous sympathy with the families in our state and have seen their incomes decline or their jobs vanish as coal p- prices have dropped. Rather than promise that miners can return for generations to dangerous, scarcely regulated jobs, I believe America must step up to provide a safety net of health care and job training for these workers and prepare all children in Alabama for a 21st century economy. Hallelujah. And lockstep with what we've been talking about. I promise I'm going to stop in a second because I'm sure that listening to my voice in long 
sequences today is frustrating. Thank you for your grace about my cold. Um, (laughs) But he had really good things to say about criminal justice reform, too, that I think would make him a good voice, along with the bipartisan effort to change our sentencing structure, reduce the disparate treatment of people in our prisons, um, and modifying other laws that have taken away prosecutorial discretion. So, like, on balance... I don't think I would agree with every vote that Roy Moore made. I mean, Roy Moore. See, I can't even get it right. It's Doug Jones. This is about (laughs) Doug Jones. I don't think I would agree with every vote that Doug Jones made, but I also don't think that he is so far outside the realm of what I could consider voting for that it would make it worth gambling on a write-in candidate. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in theory... A vote for a write-in candidate in this scenario is not a gamble. It's really a vote for Doug Moore because it's going to split whatever remaining vote. I mean, it's a vote for Doug Jones. See, I'm doing it too. Because it's going to split whatever remaining vote is left and most likely hand the race to Doug Jones. Did you hear this scenario in which they have Luther Strange resign and that triggers a reset on the whole election? Do you mean Jeff Sessions? No, I mean Luther Strange, who is currently appointed and in, in, in the Senate. Oh, no, I haven't heard this. Yeah, this is supposedly something that Mitch McConnell is considering. But I don't know. I don't know the law well enough. And I'm assuming I just can't. Why, why would the law? Why would it trigger another election when you're already in the middle of one? I don't know. I mean, they're just trying They're listen. They're looking for a Hail Mary. Let's be clear here. Well, and they should stop doing that. Mitch McConnell, number one, a lot of this is your fault. Mm-hmm. Number two, the idea of floating Jeff Sessions as a write-in candidate is disgusting. And number three, if you pull some kind of procedural maneuver to get out of this, you lose the moral high ground and invigorate the people who are predisposed to vote for Roy Moore anyway. Yeah. And people outside of Alabama who already are pissed at you. Not that you're going to get those people back anymore. And it also reeks of the same disgusting privilege and entitlement that came with the Merrick Garland discussion, which is we. this is our seat. Right. This belongs to it conservatives. Does. That's a great point. And it just makes me so mad. And, you know, to be clear, Roy Moore should drop out of this race, but he's not going to and he doesn't have to. And even what if he does, happen? his name's still going to be on the ballot. That's right. The people of Alabama should make this decision. And so if you want to say anything meaningful about this race, it should be in the realm of giving the people of Alabama the best information and outcomes possible to decide who they want to be their senator. Mm-hmm. In that foot of even that, in following that kind of branch of thinking, I have been concerned about the coverage of this post the original Washington Post story and uh, additional women coming forward. Everybody's entitled to tell their story. I do think we are in now a very voyeuristic phase. I I keep coming up with this image of like a dead animal and lots of birds picking at it. And I I was thinking, what would I want to ask Roy Moore or his attorneys if given the opportunity to ask a question that would actually be illuminating for this whole scenario? 
And I think my question is, what is your theory of this case? Because you're telling two different stories all the time. They're telling one, the story of this was cultural and he got permission from the moms and you guys don't understand big city elites. And then on the other hand, they're Which saying is gross. It is gross. On the other hand, they're saying these women are evil and lying liars. And this is a vast liberal or establishment conspiracy. Which one of those things is it? Mm-hmm. Did he do it? And we shouldn't be mad at him about doing it. Or did he not do it? Mm-hmm. That's what I would like to know. And let me also address this in the side argument of the vast liberal establishment conspiracy, which is the t- and this is a Steve Bannon asserted argument. This is a very convenient time. No, it's not. It's not a convenient time because it makes perfect sense. This man is under the highest level of scrutiny that he has ever been under because he is a Senate candidate. And there is a tsunami of women finally feeling comfortable coming forward and asserting that powerful men sexually abused or assaulted them. That is two outside circumstances that when combined make perfect sense that this story would come out now. Why do you why does it have to be a conspiracy? There's nothing confusing about this. That makes sense. Of course, this is when it came out. Higher level of scrutiny leads meets an environment more accepting of sexual assault and believing of women like, come on. It's also a month out, not a week out. Mm -hmm. So if you were playing this, that the liberal establishment is trying to get their Democrat elected I think they would have waited longer yeah. because there is time. I mean, if we had a functioning Republican Party that had the ability to go in and either pressure him to step down or tell Republican voters confident that those voters would listen right in this person, you know, that could be accomplished in a month. I will say one of the best things I read. Best might not be the best word. It was a former aide to Mitch McConnell, and his and he said, this is why you don't have crazy people like Steve Bannon recruiting candidates. So a couple layers to that. One, <laughs> I think he's right. And I think there is an argument to be made that a part, a, a real um, service that parties still perform is the recruitment and background checking of candidates. I do think that they do that, at least on the very, like, congressional levels. Um, now, is the most important question they're always asking is, can they win and can they raise the money? D- yes. But I do think they, for the most part, perform a modicum of background and sort of, like, um, experience and proper, although not for these federal judges. Sorry. Got to get it out of my chest. Um, but so I think I think they do do that. Now. They've lost the power to do that in circum- certain circumstances, like, for example, the presidency, as we all saw. But, I mean, I th- that when he said that, I was like, yeah, man, that is one of the truest things I've heard. Now, the problem underlying that argument is that you would you have you would have known and probably did know about Roy Moore and you just excluded him from the highest office, but you let him serve your purposes in other electoral ways without actually saying you are not welcome anymore because you date teenage girls, right? But I do think that when he said that, I was like, okay, yeah, that is a thing that parties 
still do and is most and is very important. I agree with you about that. I agree. And there's all this been all this reporting that McConnell throughout his history has had very little tolerance for any um, sexual scandals or sexual abuse in particular and has pushed, you know, pushed out. Uh, was it Larry? What was his name from Idaho? Larry. Oh, I, I don't remember his name. Thank you, God. He is. Gone oh, I remember his memory. face in that mugshot. I do. Too. That. But, you know, so I, I think there is a role there for the parties. Well, let's move on. Uh, Continuing with the theme of sexual harassment, though, hooray for bipartisan, bicameral legislation to deal with what sounds like pervasive sexual harassment in Congress. In the course of rolling out this bipartisan, bicameral legislation, I just like to say that as often as possible Mm -hmm. because we so infrequently get to say it. Uh, Representative Jackie Spire has explained to CNN that over the past 20 years, our taxpayer dollars have funded $15 million in settlements of 260 lawsuits related to sexual harassment and discrimination. Let me uh, just clarify that. So what you're telling me is that $15 million of taxpayer money went to pay people who were sexually harassed by election elected official or other staff members. Correct. Great. That's awesome. And no one seems to have the details on that. There is a committee that is supposed to approve a committee in the house that is supposed to approve these settlements. But this representative is having to work to get the details of what's happened over the past 20 years. She is told by the current chair of that committee that this year there have not been any requests to approve settlements. A spokeswoman for her office also told CNN that over the past few weeks, the office is receiving lots of information about these kinds of harassment. And 80% of the people who have complained have chosen not to report it to the Office of Compliance. So you have to wonder what could have gone out if everyone who had a story told it and complained about it. But this legislation helps bring some transparency to that process. It eliminates requirements for signing NDAs, which is great. Non-disclosure agreements, that's something that Gretchen Carlson talked with us about. Uh, It creates an online system to initiate complaints and significantly it requires lawmakers to pay out of pocket for any settled claim where they are identified as the harasser. Hallelujah. So there's some good stuff in this legislation. Obviously legislation doesn't fix harassment, but it helps. It's an important step. And I appreciate the legislators who are spending time trying to bring light to this issue in Congress. I agree. (laughs) I don't appreciate what's happening with tax reform. <laughs> so perhaps uh, we could talk about that next. Well, I mean, I think that ain't nothing going to happen much in the Senate. Once I feel like the dam is broken. Once you have one Republican going, nope, it's only a matter of time before you have other ones piling on. What do you think? Yeah, Sarah is referring to Senator Ron Johnson, who objects to the treatment of pass-through entities where owners of small businesses pay on the individual side of the tax code. He feels like the bill is much more favorable to large corporations than small business, and so that's why he doesn't support the bill. Now, that's something that theoretically could get fixed. 
The problem for Republicans is that they have to do this in a $1.5 trillion budget in order to pass it through reconciliation. I thought it was very telling that Mick Mulvaney told reporters that the reason tax cuts for individuals will expire in 2025 under this bill, but corporate rate reductions will continue forward from there, is to fit it within that $1.5 trillion allowance. And he called it taking a square peg and fitting it in a round hole. He said, we have to find a way to shoehorn this bill into the bird roll to get it through on reconciliation instead of needing 60 votes. Okay. Friend, let's have a conversation. Couple problems with that. First of all, you don't have to shoehorn it into the bird roll. You can do it the right freaking procedural way. Okay. Amen. So that's the first thing. You could just, I don't know, just spitball in here. Do it a way in which you could get a broad consensus of agreement among both parties. I know it's crazy, but in theory, the way it's supposed to work. Second of all, even if you're unwilling to do that, which you clearly are, you also are prioritizing the corporate tax rate to fit within the bird rule. You don't have to let the individual reductions expire. You could flip it and let the corporate ones expire. Thanks. It just shows which particular subset of interest you care about more. Logically, it makes a lot more sense to flip it because if the goal for this exercise is to spur corporate investment in order to solve the problem of a depressed economy, if corporations invest in the United States based on whatever period of time there's going to be a tax rate, which, as we discussed previously, does not happen. But if it did, let's say supply side economics works and corporations invest here, they're going to pull that giant investment because the tax cuts expired, at least in the near term. And if this is motivated by a middle class tax cut breaks for ordinary everyday Americans, leave those in place, right? I mean, there's just no, there's no logic to it. You can't, I always try to assume good intent. You just can't do it here. Well, I think this is a good transition to our next segment in which we're going to have some feedback from Lou in which he speaks directly to that and also the assumption of good intention. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsy.
just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This episode of Pantsuit Politics is sponsored by ModCloth, your go-to spot for fashion as unique as you. ModCloth believes that fashion is for every body, size, and shape. That's why their exclusive line of apparel is offered in a full-size range from extra, extra small to 4X. ModCloth carries an amazing array of product from quirky prints to classic silhouettes to contemporary styles. Right now, nab everything you need for the holidays. ModCloth's got you covered with cozy looks, festive delights, and a gift guide you'll want to check twice. You can even get free sizing and fit and styling help from their team of mod stylists. It's official. The holidays are here. So go to ModCloth, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com and enter promo code Pantsuit30 at checkout to get 30% off your order of $100 or more. Go to M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com and enter promo code Pantsuit30 at checkout to get 30% off of your order of $100 or more. Make every day extraordinary with ModCloth. So we got two pieces of really good feedback on our tax discussion. And since we're continuing that discussion, we wanted to share those with you. So Lou, one of our regular and beloved listeners, uh, 
said, on tax reform more broadly, I think you guys are still missing the forest for the trees. Very few conservatives believe in trickle-down, and it has been shown over and over and over to fail miserably at everything it tries to do, with one major exception. It is quite good at allowing rich people to keep a lot more of their money. Once you view conservative intellectualism, conservative policy, and conservative orthodoxy through the lens of really rich people investing in Republican thought and Republican politicians for the purpose of getting to keep as much of their money as possible— Our political landscape, particularly ACA repeal and tax reform, makes a lot more sense. And, like, I really want to give grace, and I want to give the benefit of the doubt. I think there are some complexities here. I don't think that represents all conservative voters. But, and I think there's people like the Koch brothers. Like, if you've listened to any interviews with them, they have some, like, real hardcore um, family experiences and philosophies, I think, illustrating a lot of what they do. Same is even true as much as I hate to admit it of Steve Bannon. But, like... On the most basic level, it's hard not to say, yeah, he's right. This is just a craven money grab. Well, I think that the process speaks to that. Mm -hmm. If you believe that you have the best ideas, why not go through regular order? Mm -hmm. There are some good things embedded in this tax legislation. We've mostly ripped it to shreds. There are some good things. One of those good things, for example is a little half-page note about extending military tax breaks to soldiers serving in the Sinai Peninsula, which needs to happen because the Department of Defense has never classified the Sinai Peninsula as a war zone. But these soldiers are doing dangerous work every day. And so giving them a tax break that is afforded to other members of the military, hooray, let's do that. Tim Scott has put in some legislation on spurring investment in small business that I think is good. Like, there's some good stuff in here. Have those discussions. To me, the reason that you can't assume good intent anymore and what legitimizes the argument that all conservative policy is a sellout to corporate interests is that they are trying to do this in the sneakiest, most fast-tracked way possible. And because there's all this reporting that their donors... Not constituents. Donors are like, you better get something done or we're cutting off the flow of money. Like, it's just it's like the only relationship that matters. Um, It seems like the way that they're acting is the the donors don't get mad because they weren't able to accomplish anything. Also, on a side note, if you guys are just acting in the most craven electoral way possible beyond your donors, I don't think sneaking the individual mandate in here is a good idea if you watched Virginia at all, in which the candidates did not talk about health care, and yet the voters reported that was the number one concern for them. You know, and I just, what you, what, you, what you doing, guys? What you doing? Well, as we tried to point out on Tuesday, there are lots of things that inform the decision to hire additional people or build a new factory or whatever. And one of those things is health care policy. And by sneaking in this provision to repeal the individual mandate, but do nothing else on health care, mm-hmm. all you're going to do is – and look, I don't like the individual mandate. I would vote to repeal the individual mandate in the context of an overall health care reform. Yep. But that's not what this is. And when you do it on its own, you're just inviting market instability. So and now increases in premiums, which is really going to make people mad. So to summarize, what this legislation does is temporarily reorder the economy in favor of the wealthiest Americans at a time when the economy has been steadily growing and throws into chaos the healthcare system. 
and where that growth is primarily going to the richest Americans already. Also throws the healthcare system into chaos and does all of that through a process that was not designed or intended to effectuate this kind of substantive change. Mm. Also, fun fact, they haven't actually funded the government either. They've got like 22 days left, I think. Do you want to talk about Peggy's message as well? This speaks to supply-side economics. Yeah, it was really good, and it's t- it speaks directly to Lou's point, too, about has it worked. She said, here's a little more about taxes. I live in b- suburban Kansas City, about a mile from can- the Kansas-Missouri state line, so it's easy to observe the difference between the two states. When we first moved here about 30 years ago, you could it- tell immediately when you crossed the state line in the winter. You went from clean, smooth roads in Kansas to potholes, ice, and snow in Missouri. They didn't have the money for snow removal and road pair like Kansas did. When my kids were in preschool, we mothers asked each other where the kids were going next year. Some mothers said, well, we live in Missouri, so we have to do private schools. Of course, there were private schools in KCMO, but parents with the means to avoid them did so, to the extent that they talked as if those public schools didn't exist. The Kansas families all happily went with the public schools. Paying for car repairs like front-end alignments after going through potholes probably costs more than the savings from lower taxes. Since Kansas has gone all supplied side in the last few years, those differences are less stark. Our schools and roads are worse, so the contrast isn't as great. The minimal taxes tax cuts have made absolutely no difference in my quality of life. Worrying about my grandson's education has made has made a difference in my quality of life. And, you know, we got another message from a listener who said, look, like, we own a small business, but I'm not going to hire because I'm so worried about the cost of health care. And I spend a huge amount of money on private schools. And, you know, I talked about like in Paducah, that's a huge reason we came here. And it helps and it has a huge impact on my quality of life because I don't have to pay for private schools. I have good pub- free public schools. I mean, all these things add up. And I think that, you know, we forget that the government's number one job is not just to cut taxes, cut taxes, cut taxes. We have the lowest tax rates in American history. They were like 70 percent at the top income levels before Reagan came into office. And I just want us to, you know, have a Dr. Phil moment and kind of look around and say, how's it working for us? Because you can ask Peggy in Kansas how it worked for her. And you can ask states that, you know, we have this really great system and multiple state governments where we can look around and look at different approaches and see how they work. And that's not to say all states are the same, but, you know, do you want, like she said, do you want a little bit less in taxes, but have crappy roads and crappy schools and, you know, a crappy military? (laughs) Like, I just, I don't understand. An argument in favor of cutting federal taxes is to say, well, this gives people more money so that if their state wants to have higher taxes and provide more government services, the state can make that decision and people can more directly influence their state elections than federal elections. But that is not the argument that is being made in support Mm -hmm. of this legislation. And even when asked questions about what they're doing at the federal level, Republicans are unable to articulate anything coherent about it. I listened to Paul Ryan's interview with, I think it was the New Washington, where they ask him about the decision to eliminate a deduction for chronic medical care issues and said, you know, many people frame this as basically a tax on people who are very, very sick. And his answer to that 
was, well, look, what we're doing is just saying you can keep more of your own money so you can spend it on whatever you want to. If you want to spend it on health care, you can spend it on health care. What? Friend, no one wants to spend money on health care. That's not uh, what anybody wants to spend money on. And so there are arguments. People aren't keeping more of their money. That's the point. That is the point. Uh. And so I'm saying there are arguments in favor of doing some of this work, but they're not making those arguments. They are just making the argument that if we lower taxes, the economy will improve. And there's nowhere to go from there. Mm. Mm. And it's another reason, especially when you hear statistics like there are $15 million paid over 20 years in settlements for bad behavior in Congress. There is obviously room in the federal budget to be better stewards of taxpayer dollars. Get Mm -hmm. to work on that. Get to work on that and take longer and do a good job and then come back to the American people and say, we think we now have a very good, credible argument for changing the tax code. And you know what? While we're at it, having these conversations directly relevant to your um, point about the Egyptian peninsula and a big reason why I do um, have space for agreement with Senator Rand Paul, even though he is a different political party and different political persuasion generally than me, is if you want to spend a lot of Department of the Defense dollars in areas of the world, then you need to come to my elected officials so we can have a conversation as a country about where we want to spend money going to war. Absolutely. Please and thank you. Absolutely. Two quick things from Tuesday's episode to say before we sign off for today. One, Elise wrote and pointed out in our discussion of Roy Moore and religion that not all Christians are evangelicals. And I, that, that's correct. And I would take it a a step further (laughs) and say not all evangelicals are political evangelicals. There are so many people who would ascribe that faith to themselves who don't recognize what's happening in the the political conversation as having anything to do with their faith. So thank you, Elise, for that clarification. And two, I want to thank Jacqueline English, who is a research intern with us right now. Jacqueline is studying abroad during her undergraduate studies in economics and public policy and has graciously offered to help with some of our show preparation. And so Jacqueline did a great job helping me pull some things together on the federal budget. And so we just wanted to give her a shout out and tell her that we appreciate her. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? 
Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Well, we have a little bonus segment for today's episode. We recorded and then literally like an hour later, the Al Franken story broke. Beth, do you want to provide us some perspective on said Al Franken story? Well, this is becoming a Mad Lib. We were we recorded and then this story broke. I thought you meant I thought you meant sexual harassment Mad Lib. Which well, could that's also, also be a happening. thing. Yes, because not only did Al Franken break, another woman um, accused President George H.W. Bush of groping her while he was in office and campaigning for re-election. So it was a two-for day on the sexual mm. harassment front. With Al Franken, a woman named Leanne Tweeden uh, told her story about a time when she was overseas doing a skit with Al Franken. It was supposed to be a comedy skit. He wrote the scene and in it, he wrote a kiss. She thought that it would be funny to kind of turn her head or otherwise reject the kiss in the scene and had planned to do that. He insisted on, according to her, he insisted on rehearsing the kiss. She didn't want to. He said they needed to. She tried to turn her head and she says that he kissed her forcibly. And then when they did the actual scene, she turned her head And on the flight back, she fell asleep, and there is a picture of him putting his hands on her breast while she is sleeping. And that is what I have to say about that right now. 
<sighs> okay, so then he came out with a public statement um, that I personally felt was decent. I'm going to use the word decent. I feel like that's fair. He apologized. He didn't make excuses. He said that he would um, participate. He called for an ethics investigation, and he said he would f- participate fully. There was no even, like, there's definitely, like, in the scale of this to Roy Moore, they're lying. I mean, it was, it was a long scale. He said he remembered the skit the diff- differently yeah, he did. than he did. He hedged a little bit there. True. That's true. So, okay, here is my current struggle. I mean, not necessarily with Al Franken individually. I like Al Franken. This doesn't surprise me. Um, That's about all I'm willing to or even want to say about Al Franken. But here's my struggle. So Rebecca Tracer, favorite of the pod, wrote an amazing article for The Cut about, like, like the implication of all for all of us in a post-Weinstein era. And the part that struck me, because y'all know I have, I'm not into vilification. I'm not into people, large, even individuals, much less groups, like this whole men are trash thing going on the internet. I hope it's not surprising for me to say as a mother of three boys, I'm not loving that. Um, Or just a human being generally. My personal values rest strongly on... Forgiveness and redemption. Please don't throw things at me. And but in Tracer's article, she talks about like how do we get any change without insane consequences? Just I'm so terrified to do this because it could mean the end of my career. And I see that point too. I do. But at the same time, like, there's really no area in my life, including in areas of policy, that I feel like the best approach is to just scare people straight. Okay? Like, it's just not – if I'm being consistent, it's not really ever an approach I'll take. Because if I'm being honest, I don't really think it works. I don't think you scare people straight. I think you scare people silent. I think you scare people – complicit but resentful like Beth says like so that's my struggle right now I need y'all to help me with this look I want justice I burst into tears at the end of that article about with Traster about like maybe we're the backlash like I'm mad as a woman I'm really mad but I don't know where to go next from that I think that human beings tend to operate like a pendulum. And I think right now the pendulum is way over to one side in terms of the way we have grown up to find that men treat women. Okay. And not all men are terrible. I 100% agree with you. But the idea that women's bodies are amusement parks is so deeply embedded in our culture Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. that the pendulum needs to swing over to the other side. And we probably need a period of Mm overcorrection before we can come to equilibrium. And And that's just the thing. It's temporary. Like you said, it's not a permanent approach to all things. That's that's true. So. 
I had the question asked of me several times today from different people. Isn't there, aren't there degrees? Like, isn't what Al Franken and George H.W. Bush, aren't, aren't these accusations different from Roy Moore? Yes, for sure. Right. Um, and they are different. It is different to be harassed versus raped. Like these things aren't all identical. But when we talk about these, you know, life ruining consequences, we're still talking about those from places of serious privilege. Harvey Weinstein's life isn't over. His life as he knew it is changed permanently, but he hasn't been incarcerated. Hmm. We, you know, we're not, no one is saying, (laughs) yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and look, some of these people have committed criminal acts and I'm sure will be held to account for them. If, if this situation with Al Franken is all that comes out, I don't know. It didn't sound like the woman who told this story is interested in pressing charges. And and I haven't studied it enough to know what the legality of that would be. But that's not what we're really having a conversation about culturally. And I think what we need to understand is if Al Franken is forced to leave the United States Senate, Al Franken is still going to have a really good life. Mm -hmm. We aren't ending things for him. Is it hard and stressful and serious and hugely consequential? Yes, but so is what he did to this woman. And so is her decision to step forward and tell that story. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason we need a period of overcorrection is more for what women hear when stories like this are received. Because Mm -hmm. if your reaction to this story today is to think that this is just the right now taking a swing at the left, Whether you intend it or not, you are sending a message to women to reactivate all the signals in our brains that tell us not to tell these stories because we are going to be on the deposition chair. And that's not good. We need these stories to come out. It's painful. This period sucks. This is the worst. Every time I read one of these stories, my heart breaks. I think, How can I bring up two daughters in this climate? What are we going to do about all of this? But it is necessary. Like this bone has to fully break if we want Mm. it to heal. And that's what we're in the process of right now. And I think, well, and here's the other thing with all due respect. I don't think anybody's actually worried about Al Franken. They're worried about the political implications for that. And I have a higher tolerance for that than Beth. I don't, I just think that's, it's the reality. There are, there are stakes to someone out like Al Franken resigning, and I think pretending otherwise is as long as it I guess it happens in the context of the discussion of other consequences of that decision, that's fine. But like, you know, I whatever. Okay, there here's what poli- political calculus has to happen. I guess Here, that's here's why I think that's bullish. Because in politics, it's the political calculus. In a business, it's this person brings in so much money. In a That's church, fair. it's he's such a great teacher or such a, you know, this is God's ordained warrior, whatever. In civic organizations, it's this family is so powerful and they give so much money. We can't do this. There is always an excuse, always. And I spent a fair amount of time on this particular podcast saying, here is why, as a Republican, I am saying people should vote for the Democrat instead of Roy Moore. Because if we can't take our jerseys off about this issue, we are never going to solve it. And if we can't say on this issue, something is sacred, it is more important than this vote 
you know, then I don't, we're lost. There's no point to any of this. I think it demeans the stories that these women are telling at such grave personal risk. The stories that these women are telling to, to do that math right out of the gate reflexively. It's like, mm-hmm. we, it, it's again, we're not even holding the thing on its own. Nobody took a pause today to say, wow, this sucks. It was instantly the political calculus and the schadenfreude. And that's gross. To your previous point, too, about the full bone break. So the one thing that I struggle with as well is, is there any area in which someone has changed? Okay, so I do think there's a scale between like, Bill Cosby, I did this for decades. I'm still not sorry about it. And Louis C.K., I did it. I knew it was wrong. But then I avoided blame and excused and, like, gaslighted people. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think he felt bad and but still avoided it. Not accept, Also not acceptable. And we don't, I mean, to give a little grace on that, where in our culture do we see good examples of true repentance? Oh, say, oh, my God, it's like you read my brain. Mind meld. Okay, so listen up. Bill Clinton, meet me at the mic, my friend. Meet me at the mic. This is your one chance to do something huge and big and redemptive to not only yourself, but arguably much of the damage you did to individual women and to our national discourse on this. And if I'm being harsh, setting up a situation that allowed Donald Trump to say he grabbed pussies and still win. So be an example. I believe in my heart you are capable of this. Find somebody, Katie Couric, I don't give a shit. Sit down with them. We could chat with you. Us, give us a call. That'll work. And let's be real. We need you to confess and ask for forgiveness from Juanita Broderick, from any other woman you groped or harassed or whatever. Because I think you have changed. But if you continue to run from these things, it won't matter. Please, if for like in the most craven political calculus, please just take but Bill Clinton off the table. That would be great, too. That would be enough on its own. But there is big, redemptive reconciliation. Like in this this political or in this cultural narrative moment that you're talking about, the full bone break, the healing, like I'm not sure we do it without Bill Clinton in some way, shape or form. So please, I am literally begging you, do something. Here's another thing I want to add. I read this article and I didn't repost it because it was full of very inflammatory phrases about liberal hypocrisy and faux outrage and a bunch of nonsense. But deep within it were some interesting points, I thought. One of the points that I thought was interesting that I have been thinking about is this idea that we are that we are overcorrecting and we are creating an environment where people can't meet and fall in love at work or 
that, that people can't have any kind of meaningful relationships with each other because men are terrible and women aren't safe. And that is a really nonsensical way to take this. I think we don't need to be scared of one another. We just need to learn a new language. And I feel like maybe we should have sort of a moment where we all talk about the sexiness of can I? You just say, can I do this? Right. And for our grammar friends, like make it, can I not may I, because if the answer is no, then you literally cannot. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's a wonderful thing to say, can I? And as Keith, who wrote to us about his experience with sexual assault in college, pointed out, like, there is a way to have fun and to be consensual at every step along the way and to strengthen your relationships because of the respect that you're exhibiting for one another. We're all adults. No one is saying that these things cannot exist. What everyone is saying is like, you can't take. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. You just you can't, can't take. take. Yep. Yep. And it's, I, I don't know why it's so hard for us to learn that lesson. And I hate that so many people are having to be so vulnerable and exposed in that process. But I sincerely hope that on the other side of this, we'll, we'll get that. I would also like to close on a lighter note, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I swear, please. In the name of all sacred and holy, do not add your name to this list. I cannot take it. <laughs> it's becoming a short list. It's a prayer. It's a prayer I say every night. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us for this little bonus segment, a little addition to our regular show. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, Sabrina, and George. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Paint Soup Politics and on Twitter at Paint Soup Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Paint Soup Politics theme music. We love having great advertisers support our show, but in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please do us a favor and go to podcastlistener.com slash pantsuit to answer a few short questions. It would be really helpful to us. Again, that's podcastlistener.com slash pantsuit.